everyone. We're so glad to have you back for another episode of Heaving Bosoms, the podcast where two friends catch up and talk about a new romance novel each week. We thought it high time we get some corsets and horse-drawn carriages in our lives. Well, Erin could have put it off a little bit longer, but she was rewarded for her efforts when we read The Duchess War by Courtney Milan. Okay, hi, Erin. Hey, Mel. (laughs) How are you? I'm great. How are you this morning? (laughs) I'm fabulous. We just went to some Halloween parties. Yeah? Yeah, it was really fun. So we decided to do a family uh, costume this year, and we're kind of obsessed with Bob's Burgers, the, the cartoon. So we went as Bob and Linda Belcher, and then we dressed Ember up as a little a little burger, and <laughs> <laughs> and it was so fun. Um, How have I not seen this on social media? I have not seen your babe dressed up like a hamburger. You know what? I'm having some issues with my phone, and uh, I also have been oh. really lazy with social media recently. So don't worry, it's to come. Yeah, I'll definitely. Uh, let a bitch know when Mm -hmm. things are posted. (laughs) But yeah, so we went to two different Halloween parties. One of them, um, I won best costume and I got a little prize. I didn't even know there was a costume contest and it was so great. And we had friends who came with us who dressed up as Maui and Tafiti. Oh, yes. Uh, It was so good. And actually, way before this, a few weeks ago, I had texted my friend Justine because Hector has this amazing, magnificent, fucking awesome hair. And it's it's Maui hair, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so I like almost woke up in the middle of the night and texted her at probably 11 because now that I'm a boring parent, I go to bed at like nine. Um, So my middle of the night is everyone else's bedtime. And I texted her to be like, hey, can Hector be Maui this year? And she was like, girl, we got We're it. We're on it. <laughs> We're totally on it. Yeah. And they they painted the tatas all over his body and everything. Uh-huh. It was incredible. Well, they had um, to because did you know about like the scandal where like Disney released a Maui costume? Did you know about this? No. They early on before before Moana was released this last winter, they like because they were advertising it, they released some Halloween costumes last October. Mm. And one of them was like a skin tight shirt that had all of the tatows yeah. on it. And everyone was like, this is racist. Like this is oh, no. cultural appropriation. Children should not be wearing this. Like take it back. Right. And I think maybe right. if it came out after the movie, people may have had a different view of it. I don't know. But at the time it was like Pacific oh, Islanders man. were upset about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I that mean, no, costume it went is. away. It's a really important it has a lot of cultural significance. Um Yeah. Well, anyway, it was great because they had like they had like the little Maui painted on um, and basically his sister-in-law did a lot of the painting. And so she came out and she was like, you don't know intimidation until you're trying to paint a, a, a guy's boobs. <laughs> <laughs> it was so silly. That was my Halloween festivities. What, what mm-hmm. were you about? Well, oh, know. wait, didn't you go as, didn't you go as Captain Barry Schooner? No. Reality. <laughs> 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 Captain Barry Scooter. <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> so no. 
I saw you dressed up as some kind of so, berry. So, uh, well, okay. So actual Halloween was pretty boring. Like we just handed out candy and then kind of win the trick-or-treaters. See, it sucked because like I think I mentioned before, we decorated our house like way too much, like way over the top. And then our neighbors all decorated as well. And then we were like all right, motherfuckers. So then we <laughs> then we tried to top them. Then you doubled down? Come yeah. on. Well, what oh are you supposed God. to do, Mel? You supposed to let them win? And oh, I'm fact, sorry. Was that a gauntlet thrown? <laughs> yeah. In fact, I saw... But The problem is also, like, my whole street is retirees, and so they have all the time in the world. And mm. I saw the guy across the street, uh, like, two weeks before Halloween... And he was like, I think you've started a trend, trend, like literally, he's like, I think you've started a trend. Ha ha ha. I'm a friendly neighbor. And I was like, yeah, but I don't really appreciate the competition. Like that was oh, no. like literally what I said. That is not very neighborly, no. nor is it very holiday-y. No. Anyway, so then we got invited to a party like in a few blocks down that they were going to have like a bonfire in the front yard and have like food and snacks and stuff. And we Man, were like, Alaska. yeah, yeah. Well, you have to have it because it's winter now. No, I know. Um, and I was like, yeah, I would like to go to that bonfire party. And then we were like, we can't do that if our house is decorated like this with like strobe lights and fog machines, you know, because then kids are going to be like real disappointed when they come to our house oh, and there's no one there. So we so handed right. out candy for a while and then we went to that party and I did not have a costume. What you're thinking of is my roller derby team like two weeks before Halloween, it had a costume mm-hmm. party that was a fundraiser at the Harley Davidson motorcycles place okay. called Heroes and Villains. And they wanted <laughs> all the roller girls to dress up as either heroes or villains, assuming that we would all dress up in like leather tight, sexy hero or villain <laughs> costumes because, right, roller derby and motorcycles, right? And I, like an idiot, um, dressed up as Mintberry Crunch from South Park because <laughs> I thought it was funny because, like, you know, heroes and he's the ultimate superhero. But everyone was like, um, you were supposed to dress up as a hero or a villain for this? And I'm like, like I am. Like Catwoman, basically? Right. Like Catwoman right. or like there was a sexy Ursula, like a Poison Ivy, there were Wonder Woman, you know, that kind of thing. You know what, Erin? I like your interpretation the best. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I am a superhero. I'm Mintberry Crunch. And they were like, yeah, that's not really going with the aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Mintberry Crunch is the best, especially when... It's alternatively called Captain Barry Schooner, um, <laughs> because Barry Schooner. because I'm not able to name things out loud many times in my life, actually. And that is a good segue into the book we read yeah. this week, mm-hmm. because up until this point, I have been calling it Duchess of Warcraft, right? Which <laughs> I assumed was a, like a, a cor- a autocorrect on your phone because you do so much nerd stuff with your husband. So I just assumed <laughs> it just like autocorrected to Warcraft. But then it, I found out that you actually thought that was the title of the book. Yeah, this 500 know. page book that you had committed so much time to <laughs> somehow. Yeah, Duchess of Warcraft. No. All right. So we read <laughs> The Duchess War by Courtney Milan. And I have to say, I am a giant fan. Big fan. I was in it. Scrumptious. 
It yes. was delightful. Oh, I was I at the so. table. I was oh here God. for this. It was good. I'm so glad you agree because I was a little worried. I know there was a lot of seditious handbill <sighs> plot line. I know. Like, but you know what? The we this book really struck the balance between witty repartee and mystery throughout. You don't really know what's going on for most mm-hmm. of it, and it really keeps you engaged. And then hot, hot, passionate, sexy times. Mm, yeah, like a good hero and a great heroine. It was just, mm, it was so good. Anyone who's listened to our first couple episodes knows that I'm really not down for historicals because of the plots being so lame. I'm sorry, like about seditious handbills and and stuff and we mentioned to our friend that we were reading a historical and she was so excited because she's very into historicals and she was like "Ooh, what time period and i like i was just exhausted and i was like i don't know england you know like (laughs) she was making fun of she's like that's not a time period that's a country and i was like to me it's a time period like blah 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 handbill sedition i'm ruined you know i was just like ugh, everyone's ruined all the time but I really like this book. It's so despite good. myself. Okay. So if we're gonna be uh, real about this, this, is the late 1800s, which I think we would call the Victorian period. Oh, whatever. But it's England times to Aaron and anyone else who's interested. I think they do mention like Queen Victoria at some point in this book. Yeah, man, because that's right. That's important in England times. Yeah, I don't <laughs> you know the Queen or it's the, all the king. same to me. If somebody yeah, can can like draw a distinction other than fashion between like the 18th century, actually don't. But like the 18th century and the 19th century to me, <laughs> she I saw cannot, me perk up, listener. Don't she saw me it. go? Ooh. Like I just don't. It's all kings and queens and like dukes and shit, and I. It's all the same. All right. So we've got <laughs> Minnie is our heroine. She mm-hmm. has a mysterious scar on her cheek and a desperate fear of crowds. And she's very soft spoken. Mm-hmm. And we've got Robert, Duke of Claremont. He's 28. She's 24. If I'm doing my novel math right. And there are some excellent supporting characters, which we'll get into later. But why don't we just segue right into the book starting? Because it's an excellent excellent start to a novel. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, I would agree. So the meat cute is adorable. Robert is hiding behind a couch at this ball of some sort. And he's smoking. He's also smoking hot. <laughs> yes. Smoking. Oh boy. So Minnie comes in and she's like looking around and then all of a sudden there's a commotion in the hallway and she realizes that somebody is looking for her. And so in a, a random panic moment, she decided she decides to jump behind the same couch. She doesn't notice Robert yet, but she's she's like sitting there in a pool of skirts, hiding from who we find out is her atrocious, Ugh. I guess, husband to be kind of, and his equally horrendous friend. And we get to overhear all of their conversation about why he's interested in marrying Minnie in particular and his overall thoughts on marriage. And let's just say that I wanted to punch him in many places. Um, Let's not just say that. Okay, uh, let's enough. say that he calls her a timid little rodent, which is gross, yeah. and that rodents squeal when poked, which is like a <gasps> euphemism that's so Ugh. gross. And then he says her name is Wilhelmina Persling. And he says, as wives go, Miss Persling will be just like these books, 
They're in the library. When I wish to take her down and read her, she'll be there. But when I don't, she'll wait patiently precisely where she was left. (gasps) And he talks about how she's so timid and meek and whatever that he can have all the affairs he wants. It's gross. It's so disgusting. I couldn't just leave it at that. No, please. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. So they leave and Minnie has now seen Robert and while they're still in the room. So she can't say anything, but she definitely glares. She's seen Robert and he has taken notice of her ample bosom because, of course, (laughs) he's standing over her. And the description that he makes of her before this is like she's very severe. She's got a tight bun. She's all like pointy nose. She's all pointy and elbows and sharp angles. Like, I want to say she, he says her lips were thin and her nose was sharp and a bit on the long side. Like, she wasn't like the young ladies he'd met in the crowded hall earlier. Those had been beauties. You know, it was kind of right. like, she's not beautiful. She's got big boobs, but that's pretty much it, which I really yes. like. I like that initially he was kind of not into it. And then his attraction to her grows throughout the book as he learns more about her her and her personality and her personality oh. okay so this motherfucker leaves her fiance leaves that's yeah i mean the motherfucker yeah. the uh-huh. asshole he leaves <laughs> pardon me listener i didn't mean to confuse you and so minnie starts punching the back of the couch and robert stops her just because he's worried she's gonna hurt at herself and he tells her that this this guy is not worth it and then the line that I love is, he didn't see how any man could call this woman timid. She positively crackled with defiance. Mm. Mm. So good. And then she speaks and he <sighs> loves her sultry voice because he was expecting the timber of like a frustrated school marm. But instead, he's treated to this smoky, delicious, hot tati voice that she has. And it's just natural. He calls it low, warm, and deeply sensual, which I, I just, books always gloss over voices, and voices are so important. I agree. I yeah, I agree. So before he leaves, he's like, hey, if you're not downstairs in 20 minutes, I'll come back up. And she thinks he's threatening her to like drag her out. And it's so sad. It just gives a little bit of an idea of her view on marriage, because mm-hmm. she goes, the beautiful thing about marriage is having only one man who's able to dictate my movements. Like monogamy is such a nice thing in that regard. Wouldn't Ugh, you agree? History. And he's like, England. no, I was trying to be nice. Ugh. And she's like, no, don't be nice to me because that, unfortunately, is the best I can hope for. And as soon as I can stomach it, I'll be marrying him. And it's just so sad. It's so sad. So... She goes downstairs finally, and she is confronted by Captain Stevens, who we all will learn Mm. is a turd bucket who is drunk (laughs) on power. Uh, He's awful. He confronts Minnie because there's been been these seditious handbills, and he's like, you have been writing them, and I am looking into your past because I don't think you are who you say you are. And she's like, I haven't been writing them. And also, please don't look into my past because I have a lot to hide. No, she doesn't Uh say that. No. Um, (laughs) But she is involved with, like, the workers... Sanitation, sanitation commission, commission um, yeah and stuff so it's kind of like she would be the type of person that would be writing seditious handbills right Minnie does believe that a person's work shouldn't actually kill them every day 
And if that is seditious, and Captain Stevens does in fact think that's seditious, then like, fine. But she's not the actual author of these books. Um, okay, I think I just let people know about my overall thoughts on that whole thing <laughs> as well. Books, you mean handbills. Oh, I'm pamphlets. Sorry. Yes, pamphlets. I have to tell you. They used to work with this person who her job involved pamphlets all the time, and she pronounced it pamphlets. <gasps> she needed me to hand out the pamphlets to various people at my workplace. Like she would make them, and I had to hand them out to people. And she would be like, "Erin, did you hand out the pamphlets?" And every time, I would just be like, "It's pamphlets." Did you really? Good for you. Anyway, every time I read this, I thought of her and her pamphlets. Oh, God. (laughs) Every time I read the word subtle, I think about the first time I got highlights. Because here's the thing, everyone. Don't go into a master cuts and ask for (laughs) ask for highlights and then allow the person who assured you that don't worry, they'll be so subtle to (laughs) give them to you. She can't even make the B in that word subtle. Nope. She's not capable of subtlety. Oh, it was awful. Okay. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I want to say at least two more that are really funny to me, but I can't because this podcast will be two hours. But one involves the word thermometer. Thermometer. <laughs> and one involves salmon, uh, the fish. Oh, no. All right. No. Okay. Okay, I've also already snorted twice, so we should probably move this along. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. I also know somebody who can't, I'll tell you who later, who can't say, this is awful. This could be a speech impediment, so I'm sorry, but he can't say the word wolf. He says says wolf. No, he says wolf. No, wolf is one thing. Like, what? So... We would. Oh, this is somebody I went to college with, so you definitely know him. Uh, we would oh, trick God. him into saying the word werewolf a lot <laughs> because, you know, that was big at the time. So we'd be like, oh, my God, what's that True Blood show about? It's about vampires and, and what? And he'd be like, werewolves. Ah, <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> it's not a speech impediment. It's just one word. I just It sounds like I'm making fun of him because he can't. It, it sounds like it because it is. I'm making fun of him because he can't. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay, we gotta uh, focus. Duchess right. of Warcraft. Um, <laughs> so okay. he confronts her about the handbills, but she's not the person making them. So then we meet her best friend, Lydia, who is actually betrothed to Captain Stevens' uh, human toe jam. Yeah. And she's like, hey, Minnie, there's a duke and there's man candy and also rich and we should drool together because I'm engaged to Captain Stevens, who's a worm evolved enough to make speech. (laughs) And Minnie's like, I think she's not actually happy because she's always assuring me that she's so, so happy, happy, happy in her Mm -hmm. engagement. Lydia is a great side character. Like she's a stellar friend. She's very observant. Well, she's not a stellar friend for some of this, but for the most part, she's there and I'm there for Lydia. Me too. Big fan, big fan overall. So she meets the Duke and she realizes that he's the one behind the, the who was behind the Davenport. At mm-hmm. first, she's all like shy smiles and electric touches. But then when they mention that he's a duke, she's like, oh, my God, I'm ruined again because he mm-hmm. saw me doing this thing. And and then we learn a little bit more about her background in the carriage ride home with her 
aunts. She lives with her great aunt and her great aunt's lifelong companion. Secret lesbian friend. Definitely secret lesbians. Um, And it's really cute because the way that Courtney Milan describes it is something like Minnie imagined that they were probably more or something like that. It's really Mm -hmm. sweet. And they're like holding hands on the way home because they're old as fuck and they've lived together for years. Minnie, who remember everyone knows as Wilhelmina Pursling, she tells them about Captain Stevens confronting her about the handbills and that he's looking into her past. And she starts talking about the duality of her existence before and after a little bit because we learn that she was raised as a boy for the first 12 years of her life or at least passed off as a boy she knew she was a girl she just was passed off as a boy and she's talking about this asshat who wants to marry her sort of and she's like he called me a little rodent minerva lane was never a rodent which was her real name right that was her name before she was adopted by her aunts and I don't know. It's just, it's so, so sad. And then on the carriage ride home, that's when a lightning bolt hits her right in the brain. And she realizes that the Duke is probably the one behind the pamphlets. (laughs) And, (laughs) and so she decides to go confront him. So she takes Lydia with her the next day to go visit the Duke of Claremont and tell him that he needs to stop with this pamphlet nonsense. Mm-hmm. she's going to blackmail him. Like, she's going to say, I know you wrote these. And at this time, it's like, how does she think that he wrote these? Like, it comes out of nowhere. And she's going to blackmail him and be like, okay, I'm going to reveal you unless you stop. Lydia, just just stellar. Like, Lydia's the best. She has to yeah, come Lydia along is so great. as a chaperone because, of course, a man and a woman can't be alone in, with each other because it's England times. Right. So... <laughs> She says, I'm afraid that Miss Charingford, which is Lydia, has come along as a chaperone, but what I must say is not for her ears. True, Lydia said cheerfully. I have no idea what any of this is about. And then she just fucks off to another room. Like, I love it. <laughs> she like, she's not like, down. why are you seeing the Duke? What is going on? Blah, 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 blah. She's just like, I ain't going to see the Duke. All right. I'll go with All you. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> she's so great. And so... He puts his hand on the small of her back to Mm. take her into another part of the room. And she felt it all the way to the pulse that jumped at her throat. And she's a great chapter. Oh, it's the best chapter. Oh, my. Well, maybe not the best, but it's up there. This is my favorite chapter. Oh, so she notices a chess board and asks him if he plays. And he's like, I lose at chess. I don't play chess. Then she's like, why don't we just get to the point? You're writing the handbills and you have to stop. And uh, he's not sure how she came to that conclusion. And then she takes him through her whole stream of logic. And it is sexcellent. She's so smart, y'all. She's so smart. She figured it out just based on like tone and context that it must have been somebody in high society that wrote these things and that he's new in town. Right. And the pamphlet started when he arrived, so it must be him. Yeah, my exact note is she shows with startling wit and logic, and he relents. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. he's like, he's so shocked that she doesn't want money or something like that. She just wants him to stop. And she's like, no, because this is calling attention to me, and I don't want that to happen. And 
if this calls attention to me, then I'll never, I'll never make a good match and I'll never get married. And he is basically like, you would be better off without that misogynist baboon anyway. And she's like, beggars can't be choosers. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, what if a duke were to court you? Uh, And this whole time she's like starting to be like, God, he's handsome and talk about his like his eyes and his like sly smile and his boyish looks Mm -hmm. and his lean frame. And then she says, this is her inner monologue. She says, handsome, young, and unassuming, far too good to be true. Dukes in reality were paunchy, old, and demanding. And I'm like, clearly you don't read historicals because dukes are <laughs> all, they always have blue eyes. They always look like this. They're always they're, after you. They're always hot. Yeah. If you are an, a, like a, a wallflower with plain looks in middle society, like you better watch out because a duke is dukes fucking are coming, coming after you. you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So she's like, nobody would believe that a duke would court me. I mean, after all, look at me. And she, and what my favorite line Ugh. is, you have steel for your backbone and the way of seeing what's plainly in front of your face. Like, I know that. I can make everyone else see that. I'm sure you have a different Is that line. your favorite line? Because okay, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> I am wrong. Because he's like, of course I would want to court you. And she's like, why maybe is like how this is set up? But he's like, of course I would. She goes, well, you can't tell men who ask you why that I have steel for my backbone. Like, they'll never believe that. Right. Or like, you can't tell them it's my hair. Right. Like, that's dumb. And he's like, no, no. men know exactly why I would be courting you. It's your tits. And that's my favorite line in the book. And you knew it was my favorite line before I even said it. Because I love you. He's just like, you have great tits. And I was like, yes, historical. Like, bringing it. Sorry, that's That's me snapping in the background for this. I dig it. (laughs) Sorry. So actually, he says, it's your tits. And then he leaned in further and Uh, said, they're magnificent. Magnificent. (laughs) And then this is my favorite part of the book. Well, one of them. Her inner monologue is... He wasn't even looking at them, but Minnie's hands itched to cover herself, not to block out his sight, but to explore her own curves. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like she wants to check and make sure if they are magnificent. Like, I know. She, were they? Oh, are mm. they really? He says, look at yourself sometime the way you are now, all fire and anger, ready to do battle with me. You know I would want to court you. Oh. And then he says, don't worry, Batch. If nobody <laughs> wants to propose to you, I will at the end of this book. And my my note is foreshadowing much. <laughs> and then yeah. she's basically like, nope, not going to work for me because even a duke courting me would call attention to myself. Once again, she doesn't want anybody to find out about Minerva Lane, who she used to be. And so she goes, you can't flirt with me because I declare war. And now the title is kicking into my brain. Now I get it. What? <laughs> this is the moment? Wait, let's rewind here. Oh, boy. What, when did the title The Duchess of Warcraft, a video game, when did that title click into your mind? It never did. I just thought maybe like, you know, chess is a crap. You know what? It doesn't oh, matter. <laughs> okay. I kind of get it with the chess. Okay. Anyway, so his whole idea is... I get to keep making the handbills, but what you get out of this is flirting. And she's like, no, don't flirt with me. What I'm going to do is go all around town and prove that you are the author of the handbills. And then I can more efficiently blackmail you. Right. And then she felt the light parting kiss he planted on her palm from head to toe. (sighs) Also, can we talk about how a palm kiss is very intimate? That's not a knuckle kiss. 
That's no. I think he was trying to like double down on the flirtdom. Oh yeah. Know. No, I Ooh. yeah. It made me mm. shiver from head to toe. Well, okay. he had also put his hand on the small of her back and stuff. Like he he was kind of going for it a little acceptable. bit. I think the yeah, palm maybe. kiss is also socially acceptable. It's just a little I more intimate. Think- I don't know. I don't know if a palm kiss is socially acceptable nowadays. Well, definitely not now. (laughs) Neither is a knuckle kiss. If anyone tried to kiss my hand, I'd like be like, get away from me, you like weird milady. Like, (laughs) okay, fair enough. Okay, so this is where um, this is the first book in the Brother Sinister series, Mm -hmm. and we actually meet the other two parts of this series as well. One is Oliver, who is Robert's half brother. And then another one is Sebastian, his cousin. Sebastian really stole the show in this book, but that comes later. Can't wait to read so, Sebastian's book, and I will. Oh, for real. Because he's for a, real. he is a rake for real, which uh-huh. Robert was not, unfortunately. A rake and a scientist. Ugh, an atheist, an atheist, scientist, rake. Ugh, you're speaking my language. So Oliver, on the other hand, is pivotal to Robert's character because he is the product of Robert's father, raping a scullery maid who ended up being Oliver's mother. And Oliver ended up being at school with Robert and like telling him where where his parentage is from because or what his parentage is, I should say, because his parents were always very open with him about it. And they were like, we still love you, but you need to know like your true parentage is is thus. And as a result, Robert is my favorite hero ever because he is obsessed with consent and I'm obsessed with him. Uh. It's so good. Robert's whole life, he's he's made sure that he is the antithesis to his rapey fucking father, and I love it. To be fair, it actually becomes a bit overbearing even for me, but uh, uh-huh. I think that you should always err on the side of overbearing consent, Aaron. That's what I think. <laughs> I just, it's just like every single smooch, he's like, is this okay? And I'm like, it's okay, God. Right. Like, No, I know. And there are definitely moments where you're like, read social cues, Robert, mm-hmm. and then it'll be fine. But it doesn't matter. So they see each other a few days later at a dinner and she completely ignores him. And he's like, oh, maybe I can't flirt with her because nobody would believe, like, she's right. Nobody would believe why I would flirt with this lump on a log. He, he actually says lump, I think. Yeah, I think he describes her as a lump. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the conversation, he realizes that she's been tracking the movements of the whole room and matching him in wit while also looking completely and utterly disinterested and uninteresting. Mm -hmm. But the real MVP of this chapter is Lydia because she throws (laughs) not one, but two glasses of punch on the slimy slug that is Captain Stevens (laughs) and sends him packing because he has essentially forbade her from being friends with Minnie anymore because of this fucking seditious handbill nonsense. Ugh. Then as Minnie runs off to go and try to talk Lydia out of, you know, throwing him over. Captain Stevens, with his fucking curdled milk breath, tries <laughs> to besmirch Minnie's name to Robert. And Robert is not having it. Robert's like, get out, toady boy. You're not uh-huh. going to do that to Minnie or any other woman, frankly. Like, uh-huh. no. You're not allowed to be a dick nose like that in my presence. And by the way, did you remember I'm a duke? Yeah. 
And it's lovely. Yeah, so, it's good. Then we learn a little bit about Lydia's history. One of the reasons that she, that Minnie's trying to talk her out of um, telling Captain Stevens off is because Lydia has her own secrets. Everyone has secrets in this novel. And, and everyone's awesome. ruined all the time. And everyone's always ruined. <laughs> so Lydia was ruined in the most traditional Literal sense of the way. term. Yeah. Yeah. She got pregnant by a, a guy and Minnie was there to organize her departure so that she could go have the baby quietly. Lydia then miscarried and came back and Minnie comforted her through Mm -hmm. the aftermath of the miscarriage, even knowing that in awful England times, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to her. And bless Lydia's golden heart. She's Mm -hmm. like, being married at all is not worth it if I if I can't have friends like you. And so, mm. no, I'm not going to take the only man who will have me just because. Well, not to mention that she wouldn't be safe with Captain Stevens either. If he learned about that nonsense later on, he'd yeah, throw her right out. Exactly. Ugh. So the next we see Robert, he is having a sexy dream <sighs> about being back behind the Davenport with Get Minnie. After it, sex dream, Robert. Like, Oh, mm. man. Mm. And can I just say, one of the things I don't like about historicals in general is that you have to wait so long for the sexy times because they have to get married. Otherwise, everyone's ruined. But Miss Milan. Courtney. Can I just say, you have an absolute skill it's an art form the way you pull off a masturbation scene in a way that is so hot. I love that you say that as if maybe she's listening. <laughs> oh, I mean, maybe someday. Although, although Tiffany Wise liked our post on Instagram. I know I almost died. Right? I almost fell I, over. I, <laughs> like I almost fainted. I was like, do you think? Do you think she just liked it because I had her book cover? Do you think she listened to the podcast? Do you think she listened I don't to know. the podcast? I, I had I such a like, fangirl moment. I, 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 me too. I lost my shit. Oh my god. Okay. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. Courtney, you can write a dream. <laughs> a dream and stuff. the aftermath of said dream. It yeah. was so good um, because he makes it a point to to not emulate his father, and so he does a lot of masturbating instead mm-hmm. of ruining scullery maids. And he says that at the end, he has to bite his lip against the savage pleasure that filled him. And, uh, and this dream, maybe I did too. I don't know. <laughs> this dream is about a blowjob. And then yeah. what follows is him jerking off. And somehow, yep. not that neither of those things aren't sexy, but I would say as far as like romance novels, probably lower rung sexy. And like mm. she makes this like a stellar chapter. Yeah. My heart went pitter pat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then he waits a whole week and he hasn't seen Minnie and he has to orchestrate a way to do that. So he goes to a meeting of the workers hygiene commission that he knows that she's going to be at. So he walks in and sits down unassumingly in the back of the room. Nobody knows he's there. And Captain Stevens, the oozing pustule dressed in full regalia, is poo-pooing all of Minnie's ideas. And then Stevens doesn't want two women putting up uh, posters together in the streets alone. And so don't worry, Robert volunteers to help. And Minnie and she didn't hates even know that he was idea. There. No, she doesn't know. And uh, it's great. So she gives him a venomous look. And at the end, he's like, we should probably organize this whole thing. And he's like, also, it seems like you're not doing much on your war. And she goes, why would I tell you about my movements? And Robert says, 
I figured you'd throw a few preliminary jabs in, and she counters with, clearly you hold yourself to low standards. Whatever your faults may be, I do not jab prematurely. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) And after the third uh, sexual innuendo. (laughs) Innuendo? (laughs) That is in itself an innuendo. An innuendo. (laughs) It's very meta. (laughs) Okay, so they keep talking and they go out into the street and all the while she's looking down on the pavement while being very, very assertive with her words. She starts throwing around chess and tactical terms that it's going to be really important later. And he just wants to shake her and tell her how bright and capable she is and how she should look up as like a metaphor for wanting more. And um, and then at the end... Sorry. That's okay. This might be where my favorite description of her is, but please continue because I completely interrupted you with my gasp. No, I don't mind. Go ahead. Um, So he says about her, this is, there are so many fantastic descriptions of her. The writing is so good. Um, But he says, some women blazed with light and energy. Miss Pursling reminded him of the pearlescent hint of dawn that crept under the door after a long, long night. There was a quiet grace to her, like a tiger pacing in its cage. There was a majesty in claws unused, in muscles poised for action that never came. There was a somber beauty to this caged beast. (laughs) And I swooned. I swooned so many times during this novel. Can I just say? (sighs) So at the end of that whole interaction, he goes, I'm not pretending to flirt with you. There's no pretense in it. I want you. God, I want you. Pitter-pat, (sighs) pitter-pat. And so far, she's like, she almost looks like she could be open to all possibilities. And then she clamps down again. And she remembers that women in her station can only look so far. And this is one of my favorite, like, lady tellings off. This is also a really good chapter. Woof. This whole book is so good. Okay. So she looks at him. And I'm going to truncate this down a bit because it's longer. But she goes, lucky you that you can want openly, that you don't have to stuff it all inside yourself to molder. I've looked high and I've fallen further than you can imagine. So don't you lecture me. All I want is to pretend that this is enough, that I can be satisfied by the scraps that remain to me. Don't ask me to want. If I do, I'll never survive. Mm. And I just died. So... She has this beautiful, heart-wrenching interaction with the Duke where he's begging her to show everyone her abilities and her intellect and her beauty, and she just can't. And then she immediately goes home, and the asshat who called her a rodent and a mouse and a book that should be used whenever he wants is at her house, and he can't even bring himself to make a pro forma proposal. No, he doesn't He just says, my mother thinks this should move along. So I was thinking a mid-December wedding. And she's like, oh, it's so nice of you to let me plan the date of my wedding. Right. And he misunderstands her completely because he is too dumb to understand sarcasm. And he tells her that, no, 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 no. He will not be an easy husband. And if she pulls any punches at all, he'll toss her out immediately, knowing that she'll have nowhere to go. So at this point, she's like, wait, marriage is supposed to be my only sanctuary. But if I marry this man, I will never be safe. Never be safe. So she 
throws him out. She says no to him, and he is gloriously flabbergasted. And, mm-hmm. oh God, her answer's so sad. Because afterwards, they support her, but they say that she should only want an appropriate amount. And they tell her to list the things you are and ask yourself what man would want them. And I'm sitting there going, ugh, Claremont, but fine. Caged tiger. Tigress. (laughs) And so at that point, she's like, I need more cushion for safety. I need to go to London and prove without a doubt that he's the one who wrote the pamphlets just in case. Mm -hmm. And that's when we learn a little bit more about her chess training. Um, When she was... When she was being raised as a boy, she was also being taught how to play chess in a way that she was like a prodigy. Nope. Prodigy. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) What time is it in New York? Shush. I'm definitely cutting that out. No. Don't you dare. So she was a chess prodigy, and it was... Really incredible. And now my note is she's a chess master hidden under full skirts. <laughs> that's not so from the book. Coincidentally, that's just you, right? That's I said my note. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Courtney Milan wouldn't be so unsubtle, if you will. Right. So Robert is coincidentally also in London. And this leads to a wonderful train scene where he maneuvers his way into the same car as Minnie is. She's sitting second class and he gets his cousin and his family friend to go and like allow him to sit with her. And they're like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, if you are interested in a woman, we are tagging along. And he's like, Sebastian, you can come, but you can't say a word, which turns into a delightful farce where it's so funny. He's like using sign language and stuff to try to talk. Mm -hmm. And Minnie's just like, what is this guy's deal? It's great. Yeah. By the end of the train ride, He's really embarrassed about his adorable companions, and he attr- he tries to apologize for them half-heartedly because he's like, on the one hand, they're an idiots, but on the other hand, they're definitely my people, and they're unabashedly my people, mm-hmm. so or unashamedly my people, I should say. And she goes, no, I like them. Mm-hmm. And he swoons. Mm-hmm. And then he asks her if that means that she likes him too, because if she likes the company he keeps... And she goes, I wish I didn't. And he swoons Mm, all over again. And this is the first time he's swooned. Okay, so like, I think we skipped when he goes to the the thing where he pays off the guy that worked at the factory that his dad owned. Yes. So this happens. He like his dad screwed over a lot of workers. So he's trying to go back and like make it right with people. And like Minnie happens to be there when he's like paying this guy a pension. And the guy's talking about his father and how what a terrible guy his father was basically and Minnie says you're not at all like your father to him and that's the thing that like keeps playing in his head he's like she thinks I'm not like my father and the same that she keeps playing in her head he wants me to like look up and and have hopes and aspirations like both of them are like playing those lines on repeat like they're so sweet it's good so during the train ride Claremont has or Robert has handed her a letter And he's like, I want you to read this later. Turns out it's a complete confession to writing all the handbills. And he's like, if nothing else, this will absolutely protect you. But also, I want you to look up because anything less would be a criminal waste of your talents. And it's it's basically like I love you. 
I wrote the yeah. handbills. Stop running around trying to prove it. I trust you with this information. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I love you forever. You. Okay, bye. Oh. So with all of this rattling around in her brain, she goes home and she has a freak out at the dinner table with her aunts because... She's like, how could you do this to me? She knew beforehand what it was like to live as a boy. She knew that freedom. She knew that that freedom of expression, that freedom to be good at something and to have aspirations other than marriage and having kids. And then after a, a really awful incident, the aunts took her in and molded her. She had to learn how to be a girl. So she had to learn right. to be quiet and mousy and sit in the corner and she said that um, she felt her whole self shrinking smaller and smaller until she could have encompassed her personality in a walnut. Then when Eliza apologizes to her, this is so sad. She doesn't apologize for the bullshit system. Instead, she apologizes that Minnie ever got the chance to know the freedom that boys enjoy because if she didn't know any better, she wouldn't be so discontent. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's so sad. Oh, man. The gender commentary in this book is still holds up in a lot of ways, and it's really, really good. Anyway, then Mo- Robert's mother shows up on the scene, and the only way she's really important to their love story is that she plays Lady Catherine for a minute. But one thing that's really important to note, and we can't go into it because it's already too long, is that he has a really, really uh, tense relationship with his mother because she was never around. Mm -hmm. His father used him as a bargaining chip to get her mother's, his mother's money and his mother's loyalty. And so, and she she was afraid to leave his father. Well, she did leave him, but that ended up having to leave Robert completely almost, Mm -hmm. um, because she was worried that if his father knew how much he meant to her, that he would hurt him. Right. Oh, it's so sad. And, mm-hmm. and just read, please read this book because we, we can't do any of this justice and it's so good. But anyway, she comes to Robert and she's like, you need to get married. I've made lists. And he's like, no, mothers get to make lists. You're not a mother. So bye. So Minnie visits Lydia and learns about a new handbill. And it has all the language she has used in front of Captain Stevens, the rabid terrier. All the chess language. Like strategy chess language. She used the same language at some time with turd whistle Captain Stevens. So he's... Like that turd whistle. Yeah. So he's put two and two together and he's gone off to Manchester to find out more about her background. And Minnie's like... Stevens has. Fuck. Yeah. And then there's excellent lady love between Lydia and Minnie that is worth reading the book, mm-hmm. if nothing else. For it's sure. so good. But now it's time to put up handbills or posters or whatever. So they're putting up posters. They meet the, the Duke of Claremont. Lydia has been an excellent wingman and grabbed the other girl so that she has to be paired up with the Duke. And she starts talking with him about the fact that he used this language and about the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, she's in trouble now. And then he glops glue on her so that he can take her to the water pump and get some privacy, ostensibly so that she can tell him off, but really, as we learn later, so that they can have some some nice times alone. So he can wipe that paste off of her. Oh, boy. Does not sound sexy, but it is. Oh, man. Again, 
Miss Milan, you mm-hmm. make things that are not sexy mighty sexy. Mm-hmm. So they go to the water pump and he takes off his scarf and he he puts it in the water and he starts dabbing it on her skirts and she starts like lighting up with electricity. She starts imagining mm. that the touches on her skirt are actually on her skin. And as he he's mm-hmm. like going up her skirt and then he's touching the bodice of her dress and she's like, oh, it's my waist. And then he's going mm-hmm. up and going up. Um, and it's sending signals right to her lady bits and then he's standing in front of her telling her how interesting and clever and alluring and impressive she is and he touches her cheek and she's heating under his gaze and she says she felt herself grow damp beneath her skirts Mm, mm. and I would like to read you the whole section verbatim (laughs) a really 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 good section but frankly you should just read it yourself And then he tells her to call him Robert. (sighs) And then he talks about how he becomes foolish in front of her because all the blood rushes out of his brain. And she's like, how do you seduce women if you can't talk at this point? And then she goes, oh, you don't seduce them. They seduce you. And then then she pops up on her toes and plants a kiss right on his lips Uh, she smooches him good oh and then he deepens the kiss Mm. and it is so yum and when they finally break apart he tells her that he'll keep his word and he won't let anyone hurt her and then we have an excellent lady masturbation scene (laughs) get it get it she's back in her bed And she's trying to talk herself out of falling in love with him because Mm -hmm. he's totally unattainable. And that because of his status, he can have a a veritable harem at his fingertips at any moment. And probably already has. Right. He is a duke after all. So she starts to imagine him at a brothel, like trying to find another uh, honey-haired woman to like be her stand-in. And instead of that making her depressed, like it would in most romance novels... That makes her so hot. Uh And so she uses that as fuel for her lady fire. And uh, (laughs) it is so nice. It's good. So then Sebastian's still in town. He invites her to go to one of his Darwinism talks. And there's a big protest happening around the side. In honor of the thing, she's like, I want to get a little dressed up. And so she sews pansies all over her dress. And it's really, really sweet and cute. And so he sees her at the talk and he invites her to sit up front with him. And she's like, no, can't move so many people. I didn't know it'd be this busy. I'm so... Mm -hmm. And he tries to... He like, you know, tries to distract her from her discomfort because he doesn't really understand why she's so nervous. She does, He doesn't know her history with crowds. Then in the middle of the talk, these rabble rousers let goats into the whole assembly as like a means of protest. And the goats, of course, then immediately surround Minnie because she has food all over her dress in the form of pansies. And then... They start eating her gown, and then the lead protester starts mocking Minnie, and then Robert flips his shit and punches out the protester, and people are gathering around Minnie in such a way that they're, like, looming over her and laughing, and she has a flashback to her childhood and promptly faints. So mm-hmm. Robert wades through the crowd. Leaps. Oh, over. Leaps and bounds <laughs> over all these assholes uh, and scoops her picks up. her up. And takes her away with Lydia, and she wakes up in his lap. 
With strong arms, with her head on his lap. And Lydia, continuing being the MVP, realizes that she has woken up and she's like, I'm so thirsty. I have to go right now and get some water. Lydia. Oh, Lydia's the best. So Lydia leaves. And um, by the end of this scene, there is the most beautiful proposal. Just so Good. gorgeous. Because he doesn't want you know he he wants to protect her always but more than that he wants an ally in everything that he wants to do going forward robert wants to burn down the british class system and he wants a person he can strategize with and an equal and he you know just really loves her for her brain and all these things and also he really wants to take her to bed Mm. so is this where he she wants says, to if you're good her. in bed, I might fall in love no. with you? No. Is that not? Okay. No. Sorry, 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 sorry. Honestly. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. Jesus. You can cut it. May I say, so, I was looking through my notes just now, and I found another one of my favorite descriptions this time of him. May I read it? Mm-hmm. All right. I think this may have been from when they smooched. I'm not sure. It may be from this scene, though. When she turned away, she caught his smile at her words, his smiles were like flashes of lightning come at night, swift and fleeting, lighting up the entire landscape for a few moments before vanishing once again. Smiles like that, she reminded herself grimly, might look pretty, but they could still leave heaps of smoking rubble behind. What a seamless oh. metaphor, Courtney. Oh. Milan. Good work. That Good work. Gorgeous. Smoking I mean, rubble. just masterful. This whole book. Anyway, so he proposes, but then she tells it. She's like, listen, I can't be a duchess for many reasons. Thank you, but no thank you. I apologize. And then she tells him. No, she tells him all about. The whole story about her whole thing. Um, Because she was essentially. Okay, well, there are some excellent makeouts in this Uh, scene that are great. Yeah, they smooch a lot. But she's like, I can't be a duchess because I was passed off as a boy called Maximilian for the first 12 years of my life. And then when I was found out, people reacted really badly and attacked me as a mob and stoned me and that's how she got the scar on her cheek and so she always freaks out around crowds and oh my favorite thing my favorite thing Mm -hmm. about robert i know exactly where you're going his reaction to this (laughs) was just to look at her and go did you like being a boy Uh oh just open curiosity Uh everyone else in this stupid england time period would have been like, you're so gross. You're unnatural. Like, right. for no reason, as if she had any control over any of this. But at the same time, he clearly doesn't get it. He's like, no, he's like, OK, well, you can still be my wife. I don't understand what the problem is. And she's like, I'm nervous around crowds and duchesses have to go to parties. And he's like, no, it's cool. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. And he he kind of glosses over it in a way that's a little bit unfair to her experience because he doesn't understand how bad it was. Right. He doesn't understand at all. So by the end of it, he's like, think things over. He goes, take your time. And in the end, Minnie, take me. Mm. And then I swooned for the 11 billionth time. (laughs) Okay, so the next morning, his mother shows up because gossip. And she's like, what are your intentions with this woman? Because middle class. And he's like, you're not a mother, remember? So GTFO, I can't have you around me anymore. So she proceeds to Minnie's house. And this is when she Lady Catherine's herself out. So she goes over to Minnie's house and she's like, (laughs) and she's like, I can't have you marry my son. I'm going to give you $5,000 in order to like burn the bridge to the ground 
in his mother's experience, he will try and try and try and try again because he did with her all his life. And he's such a romantic. (laughs) And so, oh, I do have to read my favorite line, though, from Mm -hmm. the mother relationship because Minnie says, you must really love your son. And the Duchess responds, no, I could have once, but there's only so often a boy can be used as a knife to your heart before you stop feeling anything at all. And it's so tragic. So Minnie's like really struggling with this because she she obviously loves Robert and she knows that this would provide her security forever. But then Lydia shows up and backs her into a corner because Captain Stevens, the sentient case of gangrene, is back from Manchester and he is saying that she's the author of the handbills and that her real name is Minerva Lane. He doesn't know who Minerva Lane is, but he just knows that her name is not her name. Mm -hmm. And he's ordered a warrant for her arrest for criminal sedition. So she grabs up all of her evidence. And it's really not necessary because she has a letter in the Duke's own hand. But she goes through this really long, drawn out scene where she talks about all the paper and the blah. She's got to show how smart she is. She did all this research. I know she's smart, but cool. And then by the end, she proves the Duke's guilt. And then she tells the human Dingleberry that he needs to tell the Duke that he's been working with his mother the whole time as her spy. Well, she's been working with her mother. I'm sorry. That's totally what I meant. Yeah. So in the hall, she sees Lydia. And this is where Lydia jumps the shark for me. Because Lydia goes from BFF forever to saying, you know everything about me and you've been fake this whole time and get out. We're not friends anymore. And busts up their friendship because she didn't know her real name. I get it. I get it. Like, I, Minnie knows everything about Lydia. Like, every little horrifying scrap of her ruination. I'm and Minnie told time. Lydia nothing about this. I can see how Lydia was very hurt. I mean, I kind of do, but I don't know. Friends before, like history before, ugh. But it's not history. It's current. It's like why why she's going to marry this turd nozzle. Did I already use turd yeah. nozzle? Fart nozzle. I don't know. <laughs> it's why she's going to marry this shitty guy. Yeah. It's, it's current. Okay, listener, uh, I challenged myself because I hate Captain Stevens so much that every time I talk to him, I have to come up with a new insult. And so that's been the game I've been playing throughout this podcast. It's <laughs> it's continuing on. <laughs> okay. So they're not friends anymore. And I was very upset with everyone. All right. So Captain Smoot, uh, Captain <laughs> Stevens. The- I was like, ooh, what's this insult? Captain Smoot? <laughs> <laughs> Captain Stevens, the smirking loogie, mm. confronts Robert and says that since he can't prosecute him, he'll prosecute an innocent man for every new handbill that he publishes. And he tells him that Minnie has been his mother's spy and Robert is shaken to the core. He goes and breaks up with her and is like, goodbye. It's heartbreaking it's horrifying and you should read it and so it doesn't last long though because god bless his mother and all of her blundering lady catherine glory she goes over to his house to gloat and she tells him that she paid minnie five thousand dollars so that she wouldn't marry him Mm-hmm. And he's like, pieces are falling together. She was never her spy. Oh, it's so great. And so this is when <laughs> he says her real name. And then yes. and then her mom is like, his mom is like, 
Minerva Lane. Like, this chick is Minerva Lane. Like, you have no idea how bad this shit was. Like, this was a huge thing in London. Like, this was a big scandal. Yeah, she says she says something like, she wasn't ruined. She was destroyed. Yeah. And then he kind of, he starts to get it. And then he realizes why Minnie would accept $5,000 to not marry him for not only her benefit, but also his. Like, this is, she must think this is the right thing. Yes. So Minnie sits her aunts down and she's like, I have $5,000. And they're like, (laughs) what kind of indecent proposal did you accept? And she's scandalized. But then Robert interrupts and he's like, I ruined everything. And then she's like, no, I ruined everything. And uh, they both say, take me now and forever. Which is great because both aunts are like, Duke of Claremont. Like, where did this guy come from? Like, right? like what? <laughs> they have What's no going idea. on here? It's so cute. So it all comes out. Her mother died in childbirth and her father did the best he could. But he was sort of a con artist um, and a, a masterful chess player who used more affluent people to like skate by all his life. And he um, conned investments out of them and built this crazy Ponzi scheme. So by the time she's about 12, he sends her off to this international chess championship. And he tells her to throw the championship game because a friend of his has bet enough money against her so that he can pay off his Ponzi scheme. She doesn't understand what's going on. And so she refuses and she throws his um, fateful line back in his face that lanes can do anything. And this is where it gets a little hazy for me, except that his um, that her father was an absolute uh, awful human, like just a narcissist to the core. Mm-hmm. Because his response to this is to out her to all of the gossip magazines as a girl. And I'm not sure if it's because he would get the payment on the bet if she was also disqualified or what. But I think he was just so he, pissed that she was. Maybe. And oh, you know what? She was going to be outed as a girl soon anyway, because I think she was 12, you know? So like things she was are starting, starting to happen. puberty soon. And so like she wouldn't throw this game, which meant that he was probably going to go to prison for this Ponzi scheme. I think he was just so pissed. He was like, oh, you're going to you're going to do something that's going to send me to prison. I'm going to do something that's going to ruin your whole life. Right. So he does that. And then at his trial, he's trying to get out of it because once again, just flaming narcissist. His defense is that he didn't do anything. His unnatural child convinced him and was behind the whole scheme because he's a cowardly wretch. And so as she's leaving the trial, the crowd's gather around her and have their own justice and they stone her and they beat her and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. And he was convicted and then died in prison. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. He died in the first year of a hard labor sentence. So Robert tells her that he won't let anybody hurt her and he'll always stand by her. And then he says in a, his own tragic way, he says that he doesn't expect love. And this is like the second time he said that. And she interrupts him to be like, you're great. And if you're any good in bed, I'll probably fall in love with you. And <laughs> she's like, if that's a deal breaker. And in his very British way, he goes, no, that would be perfectly unobjectionable. <laughs> So they get married and they go to Paris and it's been a really long trip and his mother has meddled more. And so when they finally get there, she has a dress fitting as well. So it's like after midnight by the time they finish dinner and they're headed to bed. And he's like second guessing himself. And he's like, she's probably tired. Like I shouldn't try to ravish her right now. Yeah, I shouldn't like, you know, guilt her into it or whatever. And Minnie being the bamf that she is. (laughs) 
She just drops her robe and smiles suggestively with a come-hither glance. And they have this adorable banter and they're Mm -hmm. giggling and they're in bed and it all starts really well. But then Mm. Robert doesn't super know what to do. And so he kind of... Uh-huh. Because this Duke, allegedly a Duke, is a virgin. Listen. Yes. I'm not at the table for historicals usually. (laughs) But when I read one and there is a Duke, he's not a virgin, people. Like... (laughs) Dukes are roguish. They are rakish. They are going around with committing, you know, like not when they're obsessed with consent. No, it's just like Robert is not going to take advantage of anybody. And frankly, he is ahead of his times because he realizes that even being in a position of power is a way to fuck with consent. So I love him and I'm about it. And it's fine. And you know how I feel about a virgin trope. It's just, I don't like it. I know, but it's just like in chapter three, Robert, Duke of Claremont, <laughs> I like your tits. They're magnificent. Like, I'm ready to go. And then like chapter 20, whatever, where we are now, I'm like, virgin? Wait. He has done a he lot has betrayed, of fantasizing. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what? It all works out for the best because uh, they have this kind of awful not, first experience. I just want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with being a virgin. Like, I'm not saying blap, that. Blap, blap. I'm just saying, you know, Dukes aren't right. supposed to be the end. Yes. So he, it's so cute, though, because normally it's the woman who, like, lays back and thinks of England. And this time, Robert's like, fuck, I don't really know what to do. And so he just pumps into her and literally thinks of England. And then he's sort of resigned himself that this is what life is like now. And he's really disappointed. And then Minnie's like, um, hi. Uh, hey. I th- I think we can do better. No, she says, you're doing it wrong. Oh, sort We're of. doing it wrong. Yeah. I think we're doing it wrong. And he's like, I'm doing right. it wrong? No, no. But he his goes, masculinity is I... not fragile. So he's like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> no, kind of. At first, he's like, you think I like that I can't make my yeah. wife come? Yeah. And she's like, well, no. But what if I, I don't know, showed you how I touch myself? <sighs> And he is mm-hmm. taking notes. He has put his face all the way up to her <laughs> uh, vulva so that he can look at everything. And she's acquainting him with the little man in the boat. It's good. You know, it's doing good. some doing some clitoral action right in front of him. Not it's all heroes excellent. wear capes, guys. We got a couple That's of heroes right. here <laughs> doing right. it right. Man, all I have to say is Minnie is genius and Minnie is fearless and Minnie is goals. Mm -hmm. So then we find out, that's when we find out that he's a virgin and they do all the things and they, oh, and then they talk about how they each fantasized about the other and then it gets even hotter Mm -hmm. and he can smell her arousal Mm -hmm. and it's like totally different this time. And uh, she asks him to help and he pays attention to her nipples and it's like the best (laughs) And then when they do have penetrative sex, it's totally different because she's ready at Mm -hmm. this point. And he's like, I didn't know how good this could feel. This is incredible. And it is magical. (laughs) So they have a lovely honeymoon where they just giggle and explore. Try different things. They try different things. They try things that are impossible. (laughs) And then end up in a heap of of giggles on the floor because they fall over together. God, it's so cute. Sometimes she wears only a statement necklace. I'm just all about it. (laughs) Sometimes Um, she wears only a statement (laughs) (laughs) Um, necklace. I love you, Melody. (laughs) I love you too. Oh, thanks. 
So the honeymoon's cut short. Okay, so their honeymoon is cut short because uh, the turd bucket that is Captain Stevens has arrested his brother Oliver as like vengeance and they must go back. So they're on the train home and Robert's in a mood because the only family he's ever had is in trouble and he doesn't know if he can save him and Minnie's trying to draw him out. And it leads to this really excellent, but I will say overbearing scene. Thank you. Where he has her up against the wall and she's like obviously into it. And he goes, run away, Minnie, run away before I can't control myself. Of course she's she's into it. It's train sex. Like, of course she's into it. Anyway, sorry. They have a private (laughs) car on a train. Like, get over yourself, Robert. And so she's like, no, no. Love you. Love this. Love your penis. Let's go. And it's wonderful and cathartic. Just delicious. Would have been better without the consent interlude, I must say. That's not true. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And then Minnie realizes that, like, you know, he's desperate for her to love him, but he just doesn't know how to say it. So they get back and Robert goes to visit Oliver in jail. Lydia finds him and tells him all about Captain Stevens' toe jam du jour's strategy for the trial. And he's going to bring a um, a chess expert in who used to play chess with Oliver, like, long distance. They would write letters to each other, which mm. sounds like the most boring England Times activity in the whole wide world. Mm-hmm. Chess by correspondence, but whatever. <laughs> So he realizes the only way to save his brother is to out Minnie. And he's devastated by this, but he can't figure out another way. So he gets home and he's sure Minnie's going to figure him out. And she doesn't. And to ensure she's in the courtroom, he asks her to make sure that his mother is there because he wants to tell the world that Oliver is his brother. No one knows this. And the only way to ensure that happens is if his mother is there and the courtroom gets her reaction as well. Mm-hmm. It's really a trap for Minnie, but that's how he plays it. There's a lot of other stuff that happens that you should really read the book for because I can't get into it with Oliver's mother and it's gorgeous and Robert just makes my heart go pitter-pat in so many ways other than sexy ways. So the trial comes up and he's feeling terrible about what he has to do tomorrow and Minnie can sense his misery. So he comes home and uh, she gives him this beautiful gift and he starts saying really coded things like what will I do without you Mm. and stuff and then he initiates some one-sided breakup sex meanwhile she's just having really hot sex with her husband Mm -hmm. but he's having his proverbial last meal if you will (laughs) oh and Aaron I'm wondering if you liked this because at the end he goes to apologize after what he's done. And she goes, if you say one word other than Lord, that was magnificent. I will bite you. <laughs> I did. I did. I enjoyed it. Ugh, yes. so good. It's, it's okay. a lot. His hangups are a lot sometimes. Sometimes, but mostly they're fucking awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. So... The morning before the trial, he changes his mind and he writes a long letter to Minnie explaining that he has set a trap for her. She should not come to the trial. He has to tell everyone that she's Minerva Lane in order to exonerate Oliver. He doesn't want the crowd to surround her again and her to faint. And, you know, it would be awful for her. Right. So So he's standing up testifying and he's telling everybody all the things. And then he looks and sees her in the crowd and he freaks out, but he knows that he has to go ahead. So... He admits everything, and then they say, um, do you know Minerva Lane? And he says, I'm married to Minerva Lane. And <gasps> everyone turns, 
And she's getting surrounded by the crowd. Pandemonium ensues. A man spits at her. The Duchess whacks him with her umbrella because they're sitting right next to each other. Minnie faints, but Robert at this point has leapt over three benches and a railing in order to catch her before she hits the floor. And then he carries her out in in his big manly arms. And my favorite line from his thing with the reporters at that point is... Why would I take a conventional wife when I could have an extraordinary one? Because there's a lot of press at this trial. So there's a lot of reporters Mm -hmm. like barking questions at them. So Minnie wakes up and Lydia's there. And it's really cute because then we have a friend makeup and she's like, where's my husband? And Lydia's like, he's in his bedchambers. And Minnie's like, we don't have separate bedchambers. What the actual fuck? So she gets up and goes over there and Robert's packing. She's really confused. He says that since she only married him because he told her he would protect her and he betrayed her, he's going to leave and get out of her sight. And Minnie, bless her, is like, slow your roll, sir. (laughs) Like... I read your goddamn letter and I agreed with you. And so I I came with you. Next time, I would prefer it if we strategized together like married couples <laughs> should. But this doesn't mean that our marriage is goddamn over. And he's like, but you're angry. So doesn't that mean that you've taken a disgust of me and you never want me around again? And she's like, no, put your abandonment issues to bed. Have several <laughs> seats. And work through this with me. Mm-hmm. And so they have this lovely makeup scene involving the gift she gave him earlier. And uh, really, that's also worth it. I just really think you should read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've given you some spoilers, but all romance novels are spoiled because mm-hmm. we know they're going to end we up together anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. So read like, get there because the language and everything we can't tell you about is just so gorgeous and please 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 go celebrate courtney milan with us and read this book well, here's the thing you don't read a romance novel for the plot you read a romance novel for for the imagery the emotions the relationship <laughs> blah 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 and you can't get that from a podcast go, so go read it yeah. yeah go read it okay but they do have a really really amazing last scene mm-hmm. because they strategize together and they're like we can fix this and they pull all of the reporters in to their home and Robert sits them down and he's like, you are going to behave yourselves because my wife is afraid of crowds, but we'll answer all of your questions if you're civil. And she puts on this red dress and that statement necklace that they had lots of sexy times with on their honeymoon. Uh-huh. And they have the coolest scene where they turn everything around on the rest of London society. And they're like... You know, the Duchess won't be able to attend big parties, but instead we're going to have a series of small soirees where only the most exclusive can attend. Mm -hmm. Only the people who really appreciate our friendship will be there. I love, she comes down the stairs, like Robert's Uh already down there. She like comes down the stairs in her like sexy red dress with her sexy necklace and like she's all duchessed up and she's drawn a beauty mark. To call attention to her face scar. Uh, it's so That's good. That's right. Because it used to be something That's she was right. really humiliated about. And now she's like, yeah, check out my scar, bitches. Like, I'm tough. That's like right. <laughs> Badge so of honor. So good. She's so cool. Yeah. And then there's a really excellent epilogue. Mm-hmm. And all I have to say is that Grandma Dowager Duchess is the absolute shit. And she totally redeems herself she for does. Robert's whole childhood. And it's the best. 
So please go read this book. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's so good. Okay, Erin, do you have a lady love for this week? I do, but I have to talk about something else first. Uh, the oh. So this week, maybe last week, I don't know, Audible came out with this <gasps> romance yeah. package that you can get. And, like, I'm not super clear on, like, the pricing, but it's a flat fee that I think is less than an Audible membership. I don't know if it's on top of your Audible membership or it's its own thing. Probably should have looked into it a little more before I talked about it. But it's like you play a fat, flat fee per month for all romance novels. And mm-hmm. it's not credits like a normal Audible membership. It's unlimited. It's unlimited listening what? for romance. And they've got like every book on there. And then the thing that's great is you find a book, like you find this book. And it says it's got like a rating of like tame to simmering to hot to like triple X. So it'll tell you. And then it Ooh. lists all the things that are in the book. So it's like flirty banter, smooches, sex, you know, oral, or like it lists the things that it describes. And then like it, it's like it's a reading our minds. It, you can jump to the good parts. So you can press, <gasps> do you want to jump to the first kiss? Do you want to jump to the first flirty banter? Do you want to jump to the first sex scene? And just, and not that like, here, here's the thing. Like, if we if we wanted to just read a book for the sex scene, like, it only matters if you know the two people and you're, like, engaged in the plot and stuff. But if you want to go back to a book and, like, just listen to exactly. it, you know. Yeah. So, like, <gasps> audible. Speaking our that language. That is amazing. Are you uh-huh, sure that's uh-huh, not uh-huh. your self-love recommendation? Because it could be. Well, maybe it is, Oof. but I want to, yeah, I want to mention this No, too. no, 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 no. It's totally cool. Wait, wait, wait. So I have a, I have a self love. It's a, it's sort of a dumb one. So I'd like to go first, just in okay. case yours is really good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So mine is, if you possibly can, if you have the means, because I was really lucky while my son was in Taiwan, and and actually I have a really incredible mother in law. So we've been able to do it a couple of times since Ember was born as well. Mine is, um, treat yourself to a little staycation or a vacation, but staycations are easier. Like the final weekend, our last hurrah, I got us a couple of nights um, at a hotel in the city. And we just hung out with friends and got drunk and didn't worry about anything and staggered back to the hotel. And it was great. And it was just really fortifying. And it reminded us that we're a couple and not just parents. And it was really, really, really nice. So like, I have to say, I have, I have paid leave with my job. And I have a really, really incredible familial support system, uh-huh. so I can do that kind of uh-huh. thing, and I definitely appreciate it. But if you can, make it a priority. Yeah. Okay, Gwyneth. Like, cl- not everyone. Oh, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> I love how you, you like, bookended it with, like, if you have the means, and I know well, that I'm lucky because you were worried. That- I am. I know. I know you are. I just want to be like, (laughs) all right, Gwyneth, like not everyone can buy a $500 t-shirt, all right, and like make your own baby food, all right, now. Goop, goop, goop. (laughs) Um, So mine is... Also vaginal eggs. What? What the fuck was that? that what are you talking about? Oh, she, yeah. The, she tells yeah. you to put jade oh eggs God. in your food. Don't do that. Don't do no, that. No, jade is porous, Here's everyone. Do not do that. If you want to do that, get something silicone or mm-hmm. titanium. Like, I don't care. Don't do jade. It's porous. You can't clean it correctly. Don't do that. Yeah. As somebody who has been to yoga school and herbalist school and all the new agey shit in between, do not put a jade egg in your vagina. It's porous. Do not do it. You're going to get toxic shock. 
on the exterior of your body. Or at least make Not sure in the mucous membrane. They're like stainless steel or something. That's um, fine. So my suggestion is kind of the same thing as like if you need to take a time out for your mental or physical health, again, I realize there are consequences to dropping out of things or not going to work or, or whatever it is, usually financial. But if you are burning your candle at both ends because of social obligations or, you know, things that you don't actually have to do, but you're just worried about other people and what they'll think of you, you know, take care of yourself first. And I was inspired, I guess it's been maybe two or three weeks ago. I grew up figure skating and one of the top figure skaters in the U.S. right now, uh, Gracie Gold, who's a two-time U.S. national champion, decided to drop out of the Grand Prix this year, which is huge, huge, because it's an Olympic year. And part of the Grand Prix season is the U.S. national championships, which is the Olympic qualifier. She's decided to drop out um, because she's struggling with depression and eating disorder issues, which has been pretty obvious to the whole figure skating community for a few years. But she's finally decided to take care of it, which is like very, very admirable because she's at the top of her career. She could she could win a gold medal this year and she's decided to take care of herself instead. And wow, how many people as she disappointed with that decision you know or could she have disappointed with that decision it's super super brave so if you're like if you're in a situation just you know the only person that's hurting is you just like take a time out if you need to i like that Mm -hmm. i like that self-love recommendation just uh take some time if you need it whether it's a staycation or to say fuck off everyone fuck off everyone either is totally acceptable taking a me day yeah okay so uh, we would love it. We would make it, it would make us super happy and our hearts go pitter pat if you would give us a five star rating and then review us online. We would love that forever. You can always give us a, um, a novel suggestion and we'll definitely do that as well. We've got a couple of fan recommendations coming up. We're always available on Instagram at Heaving Bosoms. We put up fun little tidbits each week along with the preview of what we're going to be reviewing the next week. And then I love getting emails. You can reach us (laughs) at heavingbosomspodcast at gmail.com just so we can chat like friends do. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep being a badass. And love yourself as much as you love Virgin Dukes. I don't know. Actually, love yourself more than that. I, I'm not into a virgin duke. Like, if you're a duke, be a rake. That's how, that's how I feel. And with that, I think it's time to sign off. All right. Bye, Aaron. Bye, Mel. Hey, you. Yes, listener, you. Are you loving the show? If so, please leave a rating and review in your podcast app. The 90 seconds you take to say something nice not only helps new people find the show, but it makes me super smile over at HBHQ. Also, I've had a few people ask, and the answer is yes. We are still doing the five-star bribe. If you leave us a review with five stars, then we'll do whatever book you want. We're real, real deep into the list, though, so it might be a while. Ah! Lilas! Okay, back to the show.